I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 136 in which we make fabric postcards and I'm recording this on Monday, December 2nd, um, sometime during the day and hopefully posting it tonight because once again I'm going to be out tonight and, I just, and I'm going to be out t uh, tomorrow night and Wednesday night so I thought I'd better record it while I had a few minutes and then post it so y'all can have some, hopefully, listening pleasure. Thank you so much, speaking of listening, for listening, and welcome to this podcast. If you're new, I have not checked iTunes recently to see whether I've gotten any new iTunes reviews, um, but thank you for those that you have left in the past. And if you haven't left one yet, it's always nice to do so for me and all the other podcasters. I also thank you to all of you who have been um, leaving comments, and I will be doing some listener feedback at the end of this episode episode. I have a couple of announcements, a Sandy update, and then I'm going to be talking about fabric postcards. I want to start out with a couple of announcements. The first one is that indeed the um, Kiva team giveaway that I'd been kind of gently running during the month of November is Barbara. Thank you so much, Barbara, for joining the Kiva team, the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team. And I would love to put some fat quarters in the mail to you. So I'm going to be digging through my notes to see if I have contact information for you beyond Kiva. Otherwise, I'll be sending you a message through the Kiva team. So Barbara, if you're listening, um, make sure you check that and or sh simply shoot me an email with your address so I can um, send your winnings to you. And um, you're still, everybody else is still welcome to join the Kiva team. It's a wonderful way to support people around the world who are simply trying to make lives, life a little better for themselves. Um, I have some feedback I'm going to be asking for. As I have mentioned already, it is just about that time of year for the Quilty Resolutions. I do know what my theme is going to be this year. I know what I'm going to be asking you to resolve, but I'm not going to let that little cat out of the bag yet. First, however, I do want to find out, those of you who did Quilty Resolutions last year, how you did. So the next episode of this podcast, I will be reading off who resolved to do what, and I will be asking you for updates. So be thinking, can you remember? Did you participate in the 2013 Quilty Resolutions giveaway um, challenge, I should say at this point? Uh, if you can remember what it was you did, you know, do a little bit of evaluation. How did you do any resolutions? Otherwise, like I said, I will be giving you a reminder during the next episode, and then I will be asking you to let me know how you did for the episode after that, and somewhere in there I will be announcing the 2014 Quilty Resolutions. I had the opportunity to be the special guest on Pam's podcast, Hip to be a Square, last Friday on Black Friday. Um, we kind of went back and forth as to whether we were actually going to manage to pull it off because we were both, frankly, exhausted. <laughs> and I think you can probably tell that as you listen to it. But it was a lot of fun to do. Pam, I really appreciate being invited to do so. Thank you. That was fun. And next time, we'll just have to do it sometime when we're both a little more awake. 
But thanks for that. And those of you who have not uh, listened to Hip to Be a Square, make sure you do. All of the episodes, not just the one that I was on. Sandy update. Yes, indeed. Here in the United States, we are just finished with the Thanksgiving holiday. It was a full week for me. And in fact, again, tonight, the um, my husband's family was in from out of town. And although they were staying with my mother-in-law, there were pretty much family events or get-togethers of some sort somewhere, various places all week long. Um, I did have a couple of days in there that I wasn't involved in things that just the guys got together. My husband is one of four brothers, um, so they sometimes just did guy things and, you know, I just stayed home and rested up and recuperated. Um, but we had one last big brouhaha last, not brouhaha, that sounds violent, um, hoo-ha, uh, <laughs> fun, fun event. We had one last fun event yesterday at his aunt's house, um. And then tonight, most of the family has gone out of town. There's one brother that doesn't leave until tomorrow. So I think tonight my husband and I are going out to dinner just with that brother. I'm not sure. I'm just waiting to get a phone call from my husband. Otherwise, I might be home tonight. But it was a a fun week. I really love my husband's family. um, But it is tiring for those of us who are introverts. And in the middle of that, yes, indeedy do, the baby was born. My um, niece on my side of the family, my sister's daughter, had her baby. Uh, the week before Thanksgiving, so the Saturday of the weekend before Thanksgiving and the Saturday of the weekend after Thanksgiving, I drove down to see her, which is about 45 minutes to an hour away, um, and got to cuddle babies. So that's always a good thing. So it just the the week flew by, and I had very little time to actually do any sewing of any kind, although I did get my niece's baby quilt done. So both baby quilts are finished. I was thrilled with that. Baby Quilt Remix got in the mail. That's the one that had two podcast episodes (laughs) devoted to it. That one got in the mail, I believe, Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving. So I'm thinking they should have got it maybe Saturday, maybe not until today. I've not heard yet, but I wasn't really expecting to hear right away immediately. Um, I am hoping that when I do hear, I'll be able to say, hey, could you take a picture of your son on the quilt just for my own files? And maybe would you even let me post it on the blog? Um, But that felt good to have that one done and in the mail and off. And the second baby quilt for my niece's little girl, um, the one that's named Admit One to the Family, also got finished just in time and through the wash just in time to drive it down uh, to her on Saturday. And I did get a picture of my little great niece on her quilt. Um, And those are all in my blog. So today's blog post, I think it just went this morning. You will see uh, pictures of those baby quilts. They were both disappearing nine patches. So you might be interested um, if you've never done a disappearing nine patch to to kind of compare and contrast both quilts because I did slightly different layouts with them. And you can see what kind of different effects you can get with that um, design. And like I said before, it's a great design for a baby quilt. So um, check that out. All the information is there. Black Friday sew-in, I had not committed to being a part of, and and thanks to um, Pam for sort of spearheading it up, and I know um, a few other people also did um, giveaways, and I know that particularly because I won a couple, (laughs) woohoo! And I had just been saying to somebody, I never win these things, you know, and and I actually won two this time. That was a lot of fun. Um, Even though I wasn't really sewing, I did take time to go through (laughs) and enter into... um, several people's giveaways. I don't know if that's cheating, if you're not actually sewing on sewing day. I did, however, I did sew 
later that afternoon. I just needed to kind of ease into my day. Um, so I did get some of the quilt done that, so I guess it was legit. Anyway, uh, Daisy of Very Lazy Daisy Podcast had a Twitter giveaway of a completed quilt top. And I won that and I'm very excited because it's beautiful colors. I believe, although Daisy could not confirm this because she'd done it about a year ago and couldn't really remember exactly um, the design, but the it looks to me like the same design for a quilt I made my son a few years back, um, but it looks completely different with different fabrics. And it's a design I love, so that, you know I'm, I'm very excited about getting this. I haven't really decided yet what I'm gonna do with it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's always fun to have a completed quilt that you didn't have to do the work on. <laughs> So, so that's exciting, and, and there was a lot of um, fun Twitter back and forth involving cage fights over the quilt, etc., but I did emerge victorious. If you're not on Twitter, you are missing a whole lot of fun. <laughs> was, I was telling my daughter every time I start thinking I should really be spending less time online, all the Twitter people get really, really funny, and <laughs> I don't want to quite give it up yet. Uh, that was a very entertaining conversation. I also won the giveaway from AJ of the Quilting Pot podcast. Um, she was giving away three different rulers. I would have been happy with any of them, but I actually won the one I really wanted most. It's the Rapid Fire Hunter Star ruler, um, I think by Debbie Tucker, I think is her name, I believe. Um, I've been looking at that ruler for a while. Every time I go to a quilt show and see it demonstrated, I ponder, oh, do I want to get that? Do I want to get that? And I haven't quite ponied up for it yet. Um, and now I have it. I'm very excited. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to getting that too. And I might actually uh, do something right away. I'm, I'm planning on doing some scrap quilts using my stash and stuff. And I think that'll be a good way to use it. So I'm looking forward to getting that too. Thank you so much, Daisy and AJ, both of you for having your giveaways and for everybody who did giveaways, even if I did not win yours. Um, I, I felt kind of weird not having a giveaway on Black Friday. As you know, I've been doing that the last few years, so it felt odd not to have one, um, although I really needed a day of just kind of resting and, and going at my own speed, so that was good. But I do already have plans for Boxing Day, so do be sure that you're ready for a Boxing Day sew-in. Those of you who might want to do some giveaways, be thinking now about what you're going to do for giveaways. I will probably do my usual linky. Um, so that those who are giving, give, doing giveaways can link up with um, all in kind of one-stop shopping so people can find you um, if you want. So be aware Boxing Day is the day after Christmas, which date-wise is December 26th. I think that's a Thursday. I think it's a Thursday this year if I remember my calendar, but don't quote me on that. So start getting ready for the Boxing Day sew-in. But anyway, um, Black Friday sew-in was a lot of fun, and I did get um, a really good progress made on the admit one to the family quilt and then finished it, like I said, the next morning. Um, here's another little bit of, this is sort of a slash announcement slash Sandy update. I am going to the AQS Quilt Week in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm very, very excited. I've already made the hotel reservations. <laughs> I have learned from experience the first thing you do as soon as you see the announcement about it, if you think you might go, make the hotel reservations. Um, this is my first time going to Lancaster or Lancaster, and um, I'm really excited about it. It's it's silly that it, this is the first time I'm going to this one because it's probably the closest one to me of any, well, certainly of any of the AQS quilt weeks um, and probably of any of the major quilt shows, and I've not been to it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this. Um, it's only about a five-hour drive for me, maybe six, depending on traffic. 
One of my guild friends is definitely coming with me. I'm still waiting to hear from BFFPQF Kate whether she's going to also be able to go or not. The dates for Lancaster are March 12th through 15th. So if you're going to be there, we will certainly do a meetup. Uh, registration for classes opens December 10th. So if you think you're going to be going to Lancaster, make sure, first of all, you make your hotel reservations. Like I said, these hotels book up fast. Um, and make sure you get registered for classes. That's the other thing. I've already put it on my calendar in big block letters when that registration opens. Because the last couple of quilt shows I've gone to, somehow I completely missed all the... <laughs> all the notifications about registration for classes being open. And by the time it sort of crossed my mind, oh, I guess I better go register for classes. Most of them were booked. Um, so I've already printed off the PDF version of the catalog. I'm kind of highlighting which ones I'm looking at. Uh, sometime this week, I'm going to sit down and kind of really narrow it down to which ones I want to do so that when registration opens, I can go in and just bing, bang, boom, get registered. Um, so that's very exciting. There's a lot of really good possibilities for classes this year. The last couple of times I've gone to quilt shows, I've I've just partly because I got closed out of everything I wanted to register for. But I also love doing just the lectures, not committing a whole day to a class, but just going to an hour lecture and getting a feel for that person's technique or whatever. Um, and then being able to explore it on my own time. But this time I'm, I'm sort of in the mood for a class, so we'll see what happens. I've also been spending some time getting myself organized in a quilty fashion. I am actually... Yes, indeed, making notes for some upcoming podcast episodes. Can you believe it? I'm working ahead. This is so exciting. I haven't done that in a long time. Um, I've actually planned pretty much the rest of 2013 with a couple of variables because there's um, stuff I'm still trying to work out. Uh, and then I'm already working a little bit into 2014. Because I know if I have notes drafted out for several episodes in advance, one, I will be happier with my episodes in general. I'm just, I'm a happier person if I have notes. And two, I'm much more likely to podcast regularly because, hey, half the work will already be done. You know, like I said in my last episode, I used to do that. I used to be really on top of things, have notes running for several episodes at once so that when I did have time to podcast, I could just sit down and do it. Um... And I've really gotten out of that habit, so I'm trying to get back into it now. And, you know, it's, my mother-in-law always talks about doing herself the favors. If she's doing herself the favor, for her it tends to be washing dishes at night so she's not faced with them the next morning. Um, I haven't really gotten very good at that, <laughs> at doing that particular favor. I'm perfectly fine with facing them the next morning. Um, but I am trying to do myself the favor of when I'm sitting in front of the TV at night, for example, sitting on my iPad, making myself notes for episodes, you know, several months into the future so that I've got them back for reference. Um, so that's that's been happening. And I have heard back from a couple of you. I had asked folks to let me know what you would like to see in future episodes. I've heard back from a few of you. Um, and one of the things that, that has come through that's been pretty consistent is you like your reviews. You really like to hear book reviews and tool reviews and, you know, notions reviews and reviews of whatever. Um, so I'm going to work on trying to do a book or a tool review or a notion review or something in just about every episode. It probably won't happen every single time, but just about every one, um, even if they're just kind of short ones. Because, let's face it, I got a lot of books. <laughs> and... And I got me a lot of tools. So so I will be able to not only do short reviews of stuff I've been using for years that you may not be aware of or um, do books. You know, some of them might be older, but I will always make sure that whatever book I'm reviewing is still actually available. 
but the other thing I'm thinking is, is if I say, okay, I'm going to start reviewing all of these specialty rulers that I own, maybe it'll make me actually use them. So <laughs> it's probably, you know, this is one of those win-win solutions for all of us. So that's one of my plans as well. And now, yay, I'll have a Rapid Fire Hunter Star Ruler to review too. I'm so excited. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, Daisy. This is, <laughs> I love winning. <laughs> it's fun. Okay. Um, let's see, what am I getting back to? Oh, in terms of organization, um, my, I think you've heard me talk about my post-it note on the side of my cutting table organizational system for next steps I have to do in my various projects. Um, those post-it notes are all in a stack and stashed under other stuff. I mean, my cutting table just got completely taken over over the last couple of months, few months, I guess, about with baby quilts and a little bit of scrapitude, although I've kind of set that to the side for the moment. So I just, I need to kind of pull myself back together now, regroup, <laughs> get ready for the future. Um, so I'm going to go back through the post-it notes, figure out which ones really are still relevant. You know, are there projects that I was really wanting to get done six months ago that really just don't feel that important anymore? That kind of thing. Which leads me to the next thing is, and I'm going to be talking more about this in the future, but I haven't fully coalesced my thoughts yet, but I've been doing a lot of reading on not on time management but on energy management and you remember i talked oh i don't know how many episodes ago now maybe two maybe three about how um i've come to the realization over the last year that that my calendar is not about slots of time but it's about slots of energy and there are some days that i may have time but just not energy and, and being aware of those kinds of interplays in my life and i'm reading a book right now that's geared at the corporate world but it's on energy management and i'm playing through that not only in terms of my work life but my volunteer life and my quilty life and my health life um you know my physicality as well so You'll probably be hearing a little bit more coming out about that, but it definitely has to do with um, my quilty life in that I found, and this has happened to me before, when I finally got done with those baby quilts, it was like I had a new lease on life. Quilting had for a little while become, I don't want to say a drudge or a chore. I mean, I was still enjoying working on fabric, etc., but some of the joy had gone out of it for me and I was just so pressured trying to get these things done and my energy was not around it. I had to drag myself to my cutting table or to my sewing machine to keep working on those projects. And although I enjoyed having something that then I could give to somebody to say, hey, I, you know, I, I love you. I'm glad you've got this new um, infant in your life and blessings for a wonderful life together as a family, that kind of thing just my personal creative energy was just gone <laughs> with these quilts. I was just doing them to get them done. And as soon as I delivered that quilt, the second one, and so that they were both done and both out of my house and to the recipients, I just suddenly felt this lifting and this sort of, I, I had a spring in my step again. <laughs> and, and yesterday, um, we had this family event to get to, but I had a little bit of time in the afternoon before we went between making appetizers to take and actually going. And I found myself at my cutting table, just, you should see it. <laughs> it's, it's a little messy right now, but boy, I had the best time. I was messing with a technique out of a book that will be coming up in a future episode. Um, and I was just having a blast. I could, it was all I could do to pull myself away to get to this family event. And I did even have that brief passing thought of, 
how bad would it be? <laughs> how bad would it be if I just didn't show up? And then I realized yeah, it would be pretty bad. So I, I had to, I had to physically pull myself out of my sewing room and close the door and, and go get myself dressed and ready to go. And I had a great time once I was there. But yeah, there was part of me that was still kind of playing with fabric in my head. <laughs> so, and I know all of you completely understand what I'm saying and will not judge me for it. Um, so anyway, that's kind of what I'm looking ahead to. I'm, I'm very excited. This project that I'm working on now is so far a whole lot of fun. I imagine it'll always be fun. I'm just keeping myself in that play mode. It's very highly experimental for me. It's using all sorts of techniques I've never done before, um, but I'm just having a ball. So even if it turns out like a piece of crud, <laughs> I won't care because I'll have had so much fun doing it. Um, what else is I going to say about that? It's, uh, I don't know. It's fun. Anyway, having a good time with that. So, Here's the content of the episode. Um, yes, I just participated in the postcard swap that was hosted by Sandy of Quilt Cabana Corner podcast. And I have mentioned this before. She and I had done a postcard swap just between the two of us last year because we both wanted to try making postcards. So we decided to just send them quietly to each other so that if they didn't work out, nobody would be any of the wiser. And they both worked out beautifully. We had a lot of fun doing it. Um, Sandy's postcard is still featured in my holiday decorations this year. Um, and I'm looking forward to collecting more. I have now found out I had mailed my postcard to my postcard swap partner, I think the day before Thanksgiving or two days before Thanksgiving, somewhere in that neighborhood, same time I put the baby quilt in the mail. And I have heard from Beth. She was, as it turned out, well, I mean, I knew she was my partner. She also has me. She said she has now put her postcard in the mail to me. So I'm hoping I might get it today, maybe, I think, from what Beth said. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. It is cool. It, it, I'm, I'm kind of a convert on this whole postcard thing, and now I sort of have thoughts that maybe I'll make them for my sisters and my brother. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Um, so here's the, okay, so the thing about the postcard swap was simply that we, those of us who were interested, emailed Sandy and said, we're interested, and she made partners out of them and assigned it, and it was, it worked out very nicely for her that there was an even number. <laughs> we, we made life easy on her this year. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. We didn't know who our partners were going to be. Um, and I wasn't even sure if we were all going to be partners or whether, like, I was going to send one person and get something from somebody else. I've never really participated in a swap before. I, I normally find them too stressful, but this one was a lot of fun. So let me talk a little bit about fabric postcards. If you've never made one before, this is really something you should try. It's kind of like potato chips. <laughs> you kind of can't make just one. Um they are so much fun. Why would you make a fabric postcard? I mean, right now, obviously, it's the holidays, so you kind of think about, well, I can make a special holiday um, card for somebody, but this would be kind of cool to do any time of year, even if you don't actually mail it to anybody, because it's mini art. You know, you get to go, you can go the whole nine yards on this thing if you want to. It's a little, it's a, a great way to experiment pretty much with anything, with colors, with design, with techniques, because it's low commitment. You're talking, mine have both been, um, both last year and this year I did four by six inches. You can do five by seven inches. You could probably do bigger if you wanted to, but four by six is a nice manageable size. It's a postcard size, and it gives you enough surface area, enough design field 
that you can do a design, but it's not so huge that you're trying to figure out how to fill up all that space. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's a really manageable thing. And both years I sort of, I used it as a, an opportunity to, to experiment because I kind of figured, well, if I make one and it really stinks, I'll just throw it out and I'll do a second one. And you know, the person who's going to get this would never know that the first one hit the trash can. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my little secret. Although I rarely keep my little secrets. It would have ended up on a podcast episode to be sure. Um, this year, last year I did a pieced, I believe it was, it, it's hard to remember now. I think it was, I think I did it foundation pieced. I did not use a pattern. Both years I designed my own des, uh, design. Um, and last year I think it was, I think I did it like as sort of a paper pieced or foundation pieced thing. I might've just been doing stip and, stitch and flip as well. And then I, I probably applicate the leaves on top of it. I think that's probably what I did was sort of, I'd have to, you would think I would look at the picture of it again to see what it was. Sandy, can you remind me <laughs> what it looks like? Um, I think I did sort of a crazy quilt log cabin sort of thing as a background, just sort of stitching and flipping as I went. And then I applicate red poinsettia leaves over the top of it as I believe what I did. And then I sat and stitched around all the, and used various decorative stitches to make it look kind of crazy quilty like this year I did it fused. Um, and, but both years kind of what I kept in mind was that I wanted this to be, um, you know, just beyond a postcard, I kind of wanted it to be something that could be a decoration for years to come. And that's, like I said, I've already got Sandy's postcard from last year on display on my mantle. And I'm looking forward to, um, getting my card this year to do the same. Um, as I said, when I designed a postcard both years, I just sort of started playing with fabric without really sketching out a whole lot ahead of time. Of course you can sketch it. Obviously you can sketch it out. You can also, if you're not comfortable designing your own, there are boatloads of designs out there. Obviously you just go on Pinterest. You can go on Google images. You can look on blogs. There are also several books on the topic that would not only give you step-by-step um, -step instructions, but a lot of design ideas. If you just um, type quilted postcards into the search bar on Amazon, you'll see several books. I'm not going to put any links to the show notes in this episode because I haven't used any of the books, so I don't want to look like I'm recommending one over the other when I've, I'm not familiar with them. I just know they exist. Um, so that's another way you might go. Like I said, for me, I just sort of kind of, I think... The first year I did sort of sketch something out, you know, I drew a four by six um, square on a piece of paper and then sketch it out mostly so I could sort of get a, a sense of how big this thing was going to need to be. I'm, I'm not always a good judge of size, so I wanted to have that four by six uh, rectangle on a piece of paper so I could really see, okay, what does that mean? Um, this year I didn't draw anything out, <laughs> basically, which <laughs> you could probably tell. Um, what I did this year was I used the same technique I had for my um, band book challenge project, mostly. On that one, for the band book challenge, I did actually draw out a design and then cut out all of the individual components of the design and use them as templates. I didn't cut anything out this time. I just sort of um, had a sense of what I wanted to do, sort of vaguely sketched it. It was very you know light freehand, just sort of to give myself a sense of placement. And then I just cut pieces to sort of fit those areas and then fuse them on and then um, satin stitched over each of those seams. I used a uh, Laurel Birch Christmas fabric that I've had for years, years and years and years. 
that's sort of a border print. It's got a bunch of squares um, with different motifs in each square. And so I cut out one of the squares and that was sort of my focus point. And then from there, I, I used all my own hand dyes behind it. So Beth, all of those, those are my hand dyes. Um, and so it was a lot of fun to just sort of go with the flow and see what was going to work. And I, I just firmed, uh, fused everything down. And then, like I said, sat and stitched it. And it was very, very simple to do. Um, if you've never made a postcard before, you can find tutorials everywhere. Like I said, there's a lot of books, there's blog tutorials and everything. Basically, again, I did four by six. You could do bigger if you want, but four by six really worked well. And I know Sandy's from last year was also four by six. Um, so that that's kind of the common way. You use something stiff like Timtex. I use Pelon 70 Ultra Firm Stabilizer because I've just got that on my shelf from I don't know, some past project or another, so it's there. Um, but that's that's plenty stiff enough. I adhered a um, double-sided fusible to each side of that Timtex. So I'd cut it out by four by six, adhered the fusible. I kept the paper on either side, so the fusible was on the Pelon, but not, you know, not kicking around. Um, and then I cut out, um, oh, what did I do? I should have really taken step-by-step -step pictures. I think, no, I did not have a piece of fabric. I just fused each individual piece of fabric to the fusible. I, I mean, I sort of cut it all out, laid it all out, and then fused tacked it down just the way I did with the Laura Wazilowski project, where you sort of just tap the center of each piece lightly to sort of stick it, but not make it permanent. Um, and then when I had everything where I wanted it to, then I used the applique pressing sheet and fused the whole thing permanently down. Um, it probably would have been easier to do it any number of other ways, but that was just the way it worked for me. Cause like I said, I hadn't really planned a lot of it ahead. I was just sort of going as I went. Um, then, so then the, the front is all fused and then I did the satin stitching right through the the whole, the pelon and everything. Cause the step, the nice thing is then your stabilizer's built right in. You're keeping your satin stitching um, stable because you're already on the postcard. And then um, I fused a piece of muslin to the back and used that to write the address and everything on. The only problem a little bit, which I decided not to be picky about, sorry, Beth, was <laughs> that you can see through that muslin on the back, you can see a little bit of the shadowing from the satin stitching. I decided it wasn't a big deal. It's not glaringly obvious and it doesn't make it hard to see the writing. Um, but again, if I were more of a perfectionist, I might've like had a double thickness of um, fabric or something so that that wouldn't have been as visible. Um, sorry, Beth, if you hadn't noticed, don't go look now. <laughs> so anyway, um, then I did last year, I actually put an actual binding on the postcard because I liked the way that was going to look. It was a little more of a formal piece, a little more intricate in terms of the piecing and stitching. I wanted it to have a formal binding on it. This year um, I did a fused binding and I think I've talked about that in, in other podcast episodes. It's a technique I picked up from um, Laura Wazilowski's Craftsy class where you use a decorative rotary cutter. So you get kind of the scalloped edge on the strip. I've pre-fused fabric, use the scalloped edge rotary cutter to cut a strip. Um, the width of the strip depends on the size of your piece. Obviously for a small postcard, I had a much narrower strip, but it has to be wide enough to be able to fuse it to the back, fold it over, and then fuse it to the front. 
and have enough space on both sides so you see a clear border. And I really liked that this year. I, I think I would do that again because one, it was much simpler, much easier than doing an actual binding. Um, and it just made this really cute little frame around this postcard. So I think I would probably use that technique again. Um, if not every single time I make a postcard, probably close to every time I make a postcard. You can also just satin stitch around the edge. It, again, it kind of depends on how wide your stabilizer is um, that you're using or whatever you're using to make the postcard, the, the stiff part. Um, mine, my pellon is a little bit thicker, so I'm not sure I'd want to do a satin stitch around the edge. I'm not sure that would work really well. I think I needed some sort of fabric binding, but there's a variety of ways you can do that. So that you just kind of have to judge. Um, mailing it, there's, you know, envelope or no envelope. You can certainly put it in an envelope. I have not used an envelope either year, and from what I can tell, it came through fine both years. I would recommend using an envelope if you have, for lack of a better term, sticky-outy embellishments. <laughs> if you've stitched sequins on there or buttons or even have, um, like, couched thread or something like that, you might want to use an envelope because you don't know you know, what kind of abuse that card's going to be put through as it goes through the postal system. Um, I didn't have any sticky-outy embellishments. I sat and stitched everything. It was all flat, and it was all very um, firmly either totally fused or stitched down, so I wasn't worried about it. Um, so I didn't use an envelope. They do hand stamp it. You have to ask them to hand stamp it. Although, again, this year, now that I think about it, she didn't hand stamp it. She ended up, the postal clerk ended up putting stamps on it because I had written in my return address in such a way that she couldn't fit the hand stamp in there. So that's something to be aware of. Um, last year I must have looked that up because I don't remember having that problem. This year I just wrote in my return address and then when I got down there to the post office she couldn't, there wasn't enough room to hand stamp it. So she did use paper stamps and apparently it worked because Beth got the postcard. Um, but we did, when I was talking to the postal clerk, we did talk about writing my return address in another location. I did, um, as I was getting ready for this episode, I did a quick Google, and I did find a um, link to a template for how to address the back to leave room for that hand stamp. And, it, and the, the template is actually based, it must have been on some sort of fundraiser quilted or fabric postcard challenge or something. I don't really know what it came from. It was from Fiber Art, I think. But I will post that link in the show notes of this episode so you can kind of see how to space things on the back. Because that was the only thing I really kind of had to figure out both years was, all right, where do I, you know, what's the middle? Where do I put the address versus the, the you know, my little note on it? And where does the ad return address go? So I'll put that link up there so you can see it. Um, I'm actually wondering, I, I didn't think about this until after I'd put my postcard in the mail. Um, I'm kind of wondering whether you could put a grommet in the corner of the postcard before you mailed it, whether that would affect its ability to be mailed. You know, obviously then I could put it in an envelope, but if, it, if I put a grommet in it, in the corner of it, would that mean that I wouldn't be able to mail it without an envelope? And the, the reason I'm thinking about the grommet is because then the person that receives it could easily string a ribbon through it and hang it on a tree from a mantle or something like that. I mean, obviously they could put their own grommets in it, but you know, honestly, how many people have grommet things sitting around their house? Some of us happen to because we are either quilters or scrapbookers, <laughs> but, or like Daisy, garment makers, she's got a honking big grommet maker and her grommet would probably chew through most of the postcard. <laughs> if she used it, you'll have to, she sent me a picture of her grommet maker once because I was talking about them. It's big. It's really big. Um, 
but in any case, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing that with the postcards I get to just put a grommet in the corner of them so that I can either hang them on my tree or hang them off my mantle. I just think that would be really pretty. And so I, I just started wondering whether that would be something I could do before I mail it. Like if I do make postcards for my sisters, if I can put the grommet in it and then say, by the way, you can, you know, stick a ribbon through it and hang it up. Um, I'm curious if any of you have done fabric postcards and have any clue whether that grommet would affect its ability to be mailed without an envelope. That's just a curiosity that occurred to me a couple of days ago. So that's my talking about a postcard. You probably cannot listen to this episode and then go running out and make one. You you will want to look it up <laughs> and how to do it. Um, Sandy and I last year both got inspired by, we had happened to read the same article in the same magazine and got talking about it on Twitter or something, I think. Um, and I don't remember what magazine it was now. I've still got it because I, I kept it around for reference, at least those couple of pages. And that's where we got you know, obviously, this is not a new thing. Quilted postcards or fabric postcards have been around for a while. There's a boatload of tutorials and instructions out there. All you got to do is Google them, so I'm not going to point you in any particular direction. And in fact, I'd recommend you read through three or four different ones because there's a variety of ways to do it. Um, so read through a few and see which one kind of flips your switch and how you want to do it. And like I said, designs, again, you can find them anywhere. I'd really recommend making up your own. Um, it's such a small design field that it's really easy to just play with a concept. So I had a lot of fun doing this. Thank you so much, Sandy, for um, hosting the swap. Thank you, Beth, for being my partner. I can't wait to get yours. And once I get Beth, then I will officially um, post pictures. That's all I'm waiting for right now. So sometime this week, you'll get the blog post with pictures of the postcards. And Sandy does have a Flickr group for the postcards that I'm sure anybody could go look at even if you didn't actually do a postcard but that's another place you might get some ideas for designs so thank you again sandy thank you beth for being my um partner and if any of you have made postcards let us know what you've learned you know trial and error what worked well for you what maybe didn't work well for you where did you get design ideas and what about those grommets All right, and some listener feedback. I got an email from one listener who wasn't entirely sure how to go about subscribing to the blog. And I just wanted to let you know if um, you also have that same question, there is a link on the right-hand side of the blog. I think it's on the right-hand side. I don't have it open in front of me, but it says something about subscribe to this uh, blog by email. And you need to put your your email address in there. I can't actually subscribe people because you have to go through this whole verification process um, just so that they know I'm not randomly putting people in to subscribe to my blog without their permission. Uh, so if if you're interested in subscribing to the blog, just go to the blog page itself and you'll see the, the subscribe by email on the side. Subscribing to the podcast, you can do through iTunes. That's the easiest way. You can subscribe using the RSS feed on my podcast page on my website. Um, but that requires that you know how to use a podcast aggregator and all of that kind of stuff. So if you know how to do that, the RSS feed is on the um, right-hand side, I believe, on the blog page or podcast page, either page. Uh, you'll find the same information on the right-hand side on my website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Speaking of subscribers, I do want to say thank you to a few more people who have subscribed to my blog about five six people in the last few days so thank you so much for that i want to i did post a um, collage of pictures that i had taken the day after we had our first really big snowstorm of the season we've had a little bit of snow here and there but this was the first time we got um, 
at our house, we probably had nine to 12 inches, something like that, but they were saying about six, but I, it was definitely deeper at our house. Um, which that's not a big deal for us that what was a big deal was that it was a really heavy wet snow so it did take down a couple of power lines we didn't lose power but a few other people did and mostly it was really slick driving while it was coming down but the plows were pretty much able to keep up with it so it wasn't a huge deal but it was absolutely gorgeous the next day so thank you to Jackie and Lori Susie Margaret Jay Jennifer Carol and Kati for um, your comments on that blog post. Everybody agreed that it was beautiful, and Kati said she only got rain on that up, on that storm. And it was kind of funny because there was almost like this distinct dividing line: snow, rain. It was <laughs> you probably could have just drawn a line down the road and seen where the difference was. Um, so that was nice. And actually, the snow is still with us because it's been pretty cold since. Now it's been kind of rainy and nasty, so I don't know how much longer it'll stay with us. Uh, Jackie commented on my seam ripper review i posted a blog post with pictures of the seam rippers um, that i had talked about in the last episode and jackie said i listened to your podcast before reading this and i couldn't help but wonder about the ulfa blade you used and its similarity to a regular rotary blade i've used a smaller rotary cutter in a similar way for years granted it could be dangerous but if if you are careful it's fast and easy in a lot of cases um I'm guessing, Jackie, you're meeting, you're talking about the 18 millimeter uh, rotary cutter. That's that really tiny, cute one. And yeah, you could probably use it the same way. I think the only difference is it feels to me like the um, Ulfa half blade rotary cutter is angled just a little bit differently. It m might be my imagination, but it feels like it's almost, it's more of a, uh, what do I want to say? I can't, I can't even begin to describe it, but it feels like it has a little different angle, so I hit it, the thread, just a little bit different. But one way or the other, it's still the same purpose. So yes, that's another option on um, ripping seams, is just using that small rotary cutter. Again, you have to be careful, because then you've got the blade coming around the backside, too. Carol said, don't forget the single-edge razor blades, $3 for like 50 of them. When I'm ripping a seam, they work great. Ripping out quilting, I either bag the whole thing and start over, or use a pick-type regular gripper ripper um and <laughs> all i could say is you and i think daisy also said something about razor blades and <laughs> all i could think of is i am so not going trick-or-treating to either of your houses <laughs> women with razor blades is just a frightening thought um but yes that's another option margaret said, uh, I confess I used the good old standard ripper, never had a problem with it, never sliced myself or any fabric. I confess I'd be leery of tapping a thread. I tend to be a bit heavy-handed at times, and I'm pretty sure I would have sliced fabric on my hands. Um, ah, well, to each her own. And it, it is, it's just a matter of everybody has something that feels different and, and works differently for them, and, and just getting used to it. It's really, you know, for me, I've never had a problem with that rotary, with the half-blade rotary cutter or the new Havel's um, blade. Tammy asked, I was listening to another podcast and she mentioned that you use command strip clips for hanging quilts. There are tons of command strip clips. Can you tell me which ones I use? Well, unfortunately, the ones I usually use got discontinued. Well, they didn't get discontinued. They got changed. I believe they are now called refrigerator clips, I think is what they refer to them as. They are about maybe an inch wide and they're just, they are a clip. So it's, if you look at it sideways, it would look kind of like a shepherd's hook, but it's, it's wide. And you just slide 
the fabric right up into it and it grips it. Um, so that's what I mean by clips. I will see if I can find a link. Um, I know they're on Amazon. And the reason that, that, that I'm saying they changed them is, and this is just my own personal thing, and I think it's because I got used to looking at the one kind for so long. Uh, the ones I used were sort of a matte finish and the new version, it's the same size and shape, but it's this clear finish that's got a little bit of a shine to it. So to me, they're actually a little more noticeable on the wall than they used to be. I think if this was all you were using now, you wouldn't notice it. It's just because I got used to seeing the other one. But I love those things. I use them all the time because then you don't have to commit to a certain size for a quilt. You just take it down, put different clips on it, put them up um, again. It's that That's the way I hang all the quilts in my house. Um, I probably, now that I've lived in this house a few years and have a better sense of what's going to actually stay where, I will probably start putting a few more permanent type hangers up there, but probably not a lot because I do like switching out quilts seasonally. Um, so again, I will try to, to remember to post a link in the show notes to this episode to the particular uh, clips that I use, but I, I can't speak to them more highly. I use command strips all over my house. I have coat hangers in my mudroom that are done with command strips. They've been there for eight years and they've had boatloads of coats, very heavy coats, winter, sodden, saggy <laughs> coats hanging on them. And I only recently had one fall off and that's because I have like four coats on it. Those things are fantastic. I love command strips. Um, Tammy also said this uh, about the Seam Ripper review. She says, I have a ripper similar to the Havel, but I suspect it's not as sharp. I might try this one. Um, a note about using the traditional ripper. That's the pointy sharp one. I cut every fourth or fifth inch uh, stitch on one side. Then I pull the thread on the uncut side. It sort of pulls out like a zipper. I do sort of that same thing. I just do every two or three stitches because for some reason I often can't get them to pull as well when I do fourth or fifth. But yeah, if you flip it over, then you can just kind of yank out the, the back thread, the bobbin thread, um, sort of like the way the dog food bags are supposed to work and never do. <laughs> the ones that have strings on them, I can never get those stinking openers to work. I always end up cutting it off with scissors. Um, Garden Pat asked about, oh, this might be an old one, I'm sorry, because I think I already talked about this. Uh, Garden Pat asked about uh, the schedule of Scrapitude clues, and I did post a blog post about this. Um, we're on a hiatus for clues for December. Our guild um, had asked Charlotte, please don't give us a new clue in December because everybody's too busy making Christmas gifts. Uh, so we won't get the next clue until the middle of January, till my next guild meeting, which is, I think, something like January hmm, 10th, 12th, something like that, whatever that Tuesday is, second Tuesday. So you've got a little while to catch up. If you haven't caught up, if you haven't started yet, you can always join in. Um, otherwise, sorry, you just got to wait. I know, you're impatient. Everybody's impatient. They want to know the mystery, but you're going to have to wait. Um, and Jay posted about her own giveaway for BFSI, which I didn't win, but that's okay. I can't win everything. Um, Diane was hoping that BFSI w might be in the cards for her, and I believe it was. I think I remember seeing her online on a p occasion. She said, Scrapitude Step 3 is waiting for my early January retreat, so it should be done just before you and Charlotte give us the next step. Um, so good luck with that, Diane. I hope you're able to catch up. Jean said on episode 135, in which we rip it, in which I talked about um, those uh, the seam rippers, she said, were the comments from users of the Havel brand Scapel Style Seam Ripper exclusively from the Havel website? 
My cynicism in such situations overwhelms my ability to give credulity. Isn't there always someone dissatisfied? Thus, I assume any comment the company thinks is negative is not posted. Just wondering. Um, and yes, Jean, those were all from the Hava website. What I went by is there were like, because my concern I, whenever I read reviews is did they pay somebody to post a positive review or their own staff posting a positive review because that happens. But there were like a hundred some odd reviews that were all positive. So yes, it's possible that the company was removing any negative ones, um, but still there was an overwhelming preponderance of positive ones. So, but mostly I'm just going from my own experience and I like it. I've now used it a couple times since then. And I do really like that style of seam ripper. So regardless of whether or not we can trust reviews on websites, because you are right to be a bit cynical about them, because there's companies out there you can pay to make sure you only have a positive reputation online. I just saw a commercial for one the other day. Um, in this case, you know, I'm just going on my own experience now, and I do like it quite a bit. My sister, Diane, said, note to self, make sure you're sure about the seam you're sewing before you sew it on swirl fur fleece, especially if the thread matches the color of the fleece exactly. Is there a ripping tool for that situation? I don't think so. Next note to self, you're over 50. Make sure you have your reading glasses with you in case you weren't sure enough about the seam you just sewed on swirl fur fleece with matching thread. So I'm going to have to email my sister and say, okay, tell me the backstory. Apparently she was sewing on fleece and uh, could not see <laughs> what she was doing. And all I can think whenever I think about sewing on fleece is the vast amount of lint that ends up up my nose <laughs> as I'm sewing on it. Um, Very Lazy Daisy also said, thanks for this episode. It made me think about ripping. I was just doing some last night making dress alterations. I have a traditional seam ripper with a fatter handle. However, I usually use other things. I've used a small rotary cutter, a miniature box cutter, and sometimes just my small thread snip scissors. A regular seam ripper takes far too long and I have things to do. The little box cutter tool is about an inch and a half long and it's my favorite way to rip. Something interesting that was recently discussed in a vintage sewing machine group was how often you'll find old razor blades in the drawers when you buy or acquire a vintage machine with a cabinet. Our ancestors were smart ladies, and they ripped this way long before there were tools designed especially for it. <laughs> you know, the image I got in my head was a whole lot of um, women sitting around in Victoria's Victorian dress with only nine fingers. <laughs> I'm sorry, the whole razor blade thing just freaks me out. I know, they're one-sided, they're probably safe enough, but it just freaks me out. Um, and Jennifer commented, and as uh, she gave me some ideas about what I should do in future episodes. She was one of the ones that mentioned reviews, so thank you so much. Um, and I will certainly be bringing some reviews your way. I've already started uh, writing a review of a book I just recently purchased, so that'll be coming up soon. Gretchen said, um, I'm just glad I'm not the only one who struggles making baby quilts. I think all of the baby quilts I have made are at least 60 by 60. <laughs> I have come up with the excuse that they're good to throw on the floor when you want to put baby down. Maybe I should grade them to toddler quilts. And it is true. It's it's mostly because it's really hard to get a design to really stand out well unless it's of a certain size. But, you know, from now on, I'm cutting myself some slack when I do baby quilts. It's just going to be fast and easy, and that's it. Uh, Joyce said she loves the disappearing nine patch. I'm about ready to quilt a doll quilt made from that pattern for the two-year-old granddaughter's Christmas gift. So cute. Um, 
How big? So I'm curious, Joyce, how big are your nine patches then? Is Because when I think doll quilt, I think like miniature doll quilt. So I, t talk to me, talk to me about this doll quilt. <laughs> Tell me how big your nine patches are um, to get a sense of kind of what you're working with on this disappearing nine patch, but it would make a cute doll quilt. Um, Ethel also says she's been trying the disappearing nine patch and she really likes it. It can appear different each time you change the block. Um, so there's another uh, person kind of putting their two cents in about the disappearing nine patch. And Diane says you've had quite a workout with these baby quilts. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And I'm sure they'll be appreciated by the parents and by the, um, the, par the parents and the babies once the babies get um, you know, conscious. Okay, so here is one that I've asked for permission to share this, and I, I'm going to be able to. This is um, from Heidi. Uh, she's been a listener for a couple of years now, and she also has a Janome 6600, which is the same machine I have. And she says, this was, I think this was in response to when I was talking about the binding and batting. Yes, that's what this was. When I was talking about the quilt that was snake bit, was the way my AccuFeed foot with the flange kept digging into the batting. So this is her response to that. She says, I also use my favorite quarter-inch AccuFeed foot to do the binding. Um, to stop the flange from digging into the batting, I insert a short piece of a mechanical pencil eraser between the top part of the blade and the top of the foot. Okay, so picture the foot. Those of you who don't have AccuFeed feet, you're already lost. Those of you who do, <laughs> picture the foot. Picture where that flange comes down on the right, and it's the, the black metal that kind of comes up, um, that goes across the top of the foot and becomes the flange. What I'm understanding, Heidi, correct me if I'm wrong, you to say is that you put a little bit of a mechanical eraser between that flange, that part of the metal where it comes across the top of the foot. Um, and she says, this raises the flange up enough so it's still a guide, but will not get entangled in the batting. You just have to keep an eye on the eraser to make sure it doesn't come loose. I had a pencil where the eraser had a ball shape at the end of the eraser that gets inserted into the pencil. This ball feature makes a good handle, and I trimmed the eraser to a convenient length, but any regular mechanical pencil will work. Trimming to make it a bit shorter will reduce the tendency for the eraser to fall out. I heard someone else say that they just pull the flange up to rest on the top of the foot. I don't think I'd be comfortable bending the flange that much. I agree, Heidi. I wouldn't want to start messing around with bending my flange. Um, but Heidi says, I hope you give the trim after sewing method another try. I really like it. When I do it, I do a rough trim just to reduce the bulk of the extra batting and batting, then the final trim after sewing on the binding. Um, so Heidi, I, I had never thought about sticking something in between the machine and the flange. I may consider that next time. When I did my other niece's baby quilt, I just did my normal trim because I just needed to make sure I knew what I was doing and get it done <laughs> and not make any silly mistakes by trying to do something new at the last minute. Um, but thank you for that tip. And if anybody else has tried that or does try it based on Heidi's um, recommendation, let us know how it goes. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, those of you who had participated in last year's uh, Quilty Resolution um, Challenge, start thinking a little bit about what you did and what you got done because we're going to start asking you to report in. Um, and again, start thinking a little bit about this year's resolutions, Quilty Resolutions. But again, I'm going to have a theme like I usually do. So um, I will be announcing that shortly. And I think that's it for now. So again, Barbara, be in touch with me so that I can send you your winning.
and everybody else, you know, just have a great time now that Thanksgiving is over and we're able to um, kind of kick back for another few weeks. Some of us are in the throes of holiday celebrations. I believe Hanukkah is going on right now. Um, and some of us might be getting ready for Christmas and others of us are simply enjoying a change of seasons. So if you want to be in touch with me, here's how you do it. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Flickr, um, all of those places. I am Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. Please do love to see your pictures. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook, or as you already know, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us team on Kiva and do good that way. And you will find links for all of this at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.